We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land. We respectfully acknowledge elders past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be. Welcome to Wine with Meg and Mel. We're here to help beginners navigate the world of wine. I'm Mel Gilchrist. I'm joined by Meg Brotman, Master of Wine. And shit, I forgot what I was going to talk about. Oh, yeah. Okay. Great intro. (gasps) Keep going. Let's not even edit it. Let's just keep going. (laughs) We are sitting, we're in the cube today, and we're sitting out looking at this empty cellar door. And it's so sad. That's what I wanted to say. But it's going to be open soon, right? Hopefully. Yeah, I just kind of live in hope. And I know, you know, we've been talking about all these bars and restaurants. So for us, at least we get walk-ins and things. I mean, they are doing it even harder. And all the casual staff that they employ, we're being able to repurpose our casual staff. Yeah. And that's why I think these things like Providor are doing are are great because they will be using their casuals to help pack them. And I see people are doing that. That, that sea level change is it called in Sydney, doing the cocktail and you yeah. go and pick it up. And Honestly, I hope all of you are doing what you can for your local businesses that are struggling. So many hospo venues, your, your local pub like is probably doing takeaway meals. Just yeah, it, it's, it's a tragedy. It is. It and is. I think we will see quite a lot of businesses remain closed yeah but hopefully we can get back out soon and we can fill this beautiful winery once again yeah all right well that was a kind of bleak beginning that was a bleak beginning do you have a fun fact to make it more fun well (laughs) just in the vein of hope um when we are open up to travel i've just noticed that the former soviet republic of azerbaijan has unveiled plans to attract more western tourists by creating the nation's first official wine route Okay. So I think it borders with Azerbaijan, don't quote me, Georgia and Iran. Oh. So they've been making wine for hundreds and hundreds of years. Okay. And they're opening up the Vitus Caucasus um, that you can go and visit. There's only 15 wineries in the whole country though. So I kind of <laughs> am hoping that they're all on one strip yeah, um, rather than located around the whole country. But that would be a kind of a cool yeah, would. thing yeah. to do. Yeah. Drive around this country that I know nothing about, that no. know nothing about the cu- cuisine, yeah. um, trying their wine. And I reckon we'd find some really, really good wines. Totally. So if you're out for a bit of an adventure when we get out, go to the Vitus Caucasus route <laughs> in uh, Georgia, Azerbaijan. <laughs> All right. And Meg, what have you been drinking? So last night I was teaching WSAT and we were doing the Loire and I had a Sauvignon, which is a dry Chenin Blanc. So we've spoken about Chenin Blanc here. Mel's loves it. I do. So we've often spoken about Vouvray, which tends to make these demi-sec or off-dry styles. Sauvignon has to, by law, make a dry style. So it's about 13.5% alcohol. Yeah. And it's a little bit like Hunter Semillon when you have it young because it's all about acid. Mm. You know how acidic Chenin mm-hmm, is. Mm-hmm. So it's got that lanolin and white flowers and lemon yeah. pith, but this huge acidity. Um, but as it starts to age, this is a 2017, so it was sort of four years old, it takes on honey, toasted notes, and it oh, fills yum. out the mid-palate. It's a long wait because they're designed to, like Hunter Sam, they're designed to be drunk with age and it's on you 
to age them. But I just thought it just reminded me of the beauty of the diversity of wine stars in yeah. the world, just in the Loire, just along that little patch yeah. of the Loire River. We make sparkling Chenin, we make semi-sweet yeah. Chenin, we make Cote du Leon, sweet, sweet Petritis Chenin, and then we have this kind of weird outlier in Souvenir. So it just it gave me a little heart. Warming of my heart. Shannon in Australia? No. Unfortunately, no. Is there any reason? No idea. I don't think it was a trendy grape variety, but I had that Corimbia, remember, from WA, from Swan Valley. Traditionally, as far as I know, it's mostly in the Swan Valley. Yeah. I've just found out um, that there is some in the Yarra Valley and my husband will actually be making some shortly. So he is super excited and so am I because I love it. And I think the Yarra would be a good area for it. Totally. But who's going to take the risk? This is a thing. Well, yeah, it's a pretty unknown bridal. The other day, um, it was when I was buying a Vouvray for you to blind taste. Um, I wanted to get a Shannon actually. And so I was in vintage cellars and I said to the lady, I was like, oh, I'm just looking for a Shannon Blanc. And she's like, oh, I don't think we have any. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. And I kept looking and then there was a Vouvray. And so I was like, oh. so I went out to buy it. And she goes, oh, this is a really good alternative to Chenin Blanc. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> it's Vouvray Chenin Blanc. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. And that's the choice. problem with European <laughs> wines. They do not make it They don't friendly. make it easy. You can't even blame it. Like, it <laughs> No, nowhere would you equate Vouvray unless no. you knew, with Shannon. It's like Chablis. No one knows that that is Chardonnay. Yeah, that's right. And we had a Chablis last night and yeah. some of the comments were it's a bit simple and it was a premier crew. Oh. Um, so it was from one of the better vineyards and one vineyard, it was a named vineyard yeah. wine. And, yeah, there was some comments that it was a bit simple, but it, it I can see why people say that if yes. they're used to drinking our Chardonnays, yeah. which have got lots and lots of flavour going on. Yeah. this But this was... Superb. It was Shannon mm. in a bottle. It was yeah. very, very good wine. It was like a hundred oh, bucks. Wow. <laughs> These WSCT students, I tell you what, oh if you want to do God. it, last night I, I reckon they, get on on it would have been over seven hundred dollars worth of wine Ooh. that they drank. Jeez. Mm. All right. Sign me up. Okay. Uh we are doing Meg. Wine making 102, I think we decided we're going to call it. Yeah, we've or done like, 101 on white. Blah, yes. blah, 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 blah. We meant to do it all as one episode, but it got out of control. <laughs> so now we're, I mean, it's because you don't shut up, Mel. Not- uh, <laughs> pot kettle. <laughs> oh, I'm just a shy little thing. Um, <laughs> we're talking about red wine. So we covered some of this in the last 101. Now we're 102. Yeah. Red wine, just a quick rundown. Yep. Um, the pulp is clear, so all the colour is in the skin, so you need to ferment in the presence of skins. Yep. And it's kind of the reverse to winemaking. We don't get the juice. We have we crush the grapes, get the skins, and then we do what we call – we were talking about the cap management mm-hmm. um, and pigeage and pump overs. And that's just to make sure that we can extract the colour and the tannin because the things that – you need to extract tannin and colour are heat mm-hmm. and alcohol. So in the last podcast we spoke about white wine fermentation is 10 to 15 degrees Celsius more or less. Yeah. Red wine really needs a minimum of 24 to about 35 degrees Celsius. So those fermentation tanks have what little heaters in them or something? 
Well, actually, because you're generating heat from the alcoholic fermentation, you have refrigeration. So if you look at tanks, often you won't be able to see it because they're what we call polar clad, so they have foam cladding on the outside to keep the chilling in. But around the sides you'll see there's refrigeration plates. And in red wine tanks, the refrigeration plates are where the skins tend to rise to because when you ferment – Wine and yeah. this applies to red and white. You can't fill your tank because it will bubble over. Yes. So you need to leave about twenty five percent of the tank space free. Yeah. For the cap to rise. So if fermentation is done in an oak barrel, how do mm. you control the temperature? Wood obviously is not a conductor of heat, so uh, you can't let the heat out. The only thing you can do is put it into a cold room. Uh, and let it ferment in a cold room and that will help. But you will find with white wine that most whites in oak will get to about 22 to 24 degrees huh. Celsius. You can put little chillers into each barrel. Cute. I don't, yeah, cute, but very <laughs> expensive. And the problem is it chills the wine that it's in contact with. Yeah, but not everything yeah. in the whole barrel. Um, and red wine we don't make in barrels. And people often ask me why. Yeah. But you can't put skins and seeds and juice in a barrel because how do you get it out with that little hole at the end? Yeah. People have invented barrels where you can take off the head. So if you lay a barrel down the bit at the end where we write on it and you can tap on it, you can take the heads off so you Mm. can empty them out. But mostly we ferment in inert vessel Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll transfer the wine off the skin, so the pressed wine off the skins into the barrel for aging. Cool. So it's kind of – red wine making is a lot easier because you crush, ferment straight away. White wine you kind of have to crush, press, uh, settle if you want clear juice, mm. then start the fermentation. The fermentation is longer mm. because it's warmer in reds. It goes through a lot more quickly. You manage your cap twice a day, do sort of two pump overs a day, and then when the alcoholic fermentation is finished, yeah. you press. And I imagine this is why I don't know if people out there know this, but everybody thinks that vintage is this most beautiful, magical time. It is freaking chaos at a winery. And I guess everything you're saying, that's why, right? You've got like trucks of grapes arriving every... You've got to prioritise whites over reds. And I mean, we have a, a general list of priorities in our head, so it's... Fruit over must. Must is crushed fruit or juice. So fruit over juice or must. Juice or must over fermenting wine. Yeah. Fermenting wine over finished wine. So our pro, because the wines that we made last year are still in tank. They need to be looked after. The barrels need to be topped. So you've got all of this going on. And so you have this priority in your head and you run out of tank space. So it's juggling. Can I blend this? Can I not blend that? Our. Um, classic example of we had a vegan sparkling wine 2019 and then because we had to fill the tank we used a wine that happened to have a tiny bit of I think milk protein skim milk using it and so that makes it non-vegan and that's just I had to move that to another tank I've had to top the tank because it had to be a bigger volume tank it's it is about tank management making decisions but winemakers have you have a vision in your head of where you want to be with all wines and don't forget with this true colors pinot 
It doesn't come in as true colours Pinot. It comes in as Pinot from Maramong. It comes in as yeah. Pinot from, I don't know, another vineyard in Gruyere. It comes from another vineyard off our vineyard here. So it might come in as 30 different parcels of fruit yeah. that all have to be made with the true colours Pinot Noir vision Fire. in mind. Are they all made separately, then blended at the end? Yeah. yeah. And Jeez. then the blending is... And, like, that's the thing. In, like, um, like this year was um, a perfect year, wasn't it, yeah. in terms of, like... It's ideal. It, it came through slowly, gave people time, gave our team time to kind of work with each parcel as it came in. But there's, like, chaotic years, right, where you get, like, a really warm streak and you have just grapes coming out of every direction. You've got grapes coming out of your ears. Yeah. And with this small team working day and night. You are working 24-7. I mean, in 2016, normal vintage is about eight to nine weeks. Yeah. In 2016, I think it was four weeks. (laughs) Same volume. Where do you find the tanks? Because as I said in earlier, you need 25% extra space just for fermentation. So you've lost a quarter of your space already just to ferment. Yeah. And then you're having to make winemaking decisions, just moving things around. It is chaotic, but it's you become an adrenaline junkie when you do vintage. You know what's wild that like the price of wine is actually compa- like a like a reasonably priced bottle is comparable to the price of like beer or spirits. Yeah, and they can do that any time. They can just do it any time, whenever they want. There's like, oh, turn it on, get Nine some to five. Yeah, like, but we have we are completely at the mercy. Of the season. And once a year. Once a year. If you, you've got to get it right once a year. Wow. No matter what it cool. throws at you. Well, this is why I love our industry, though. It's cool. It's that's chaotic, why I love it. And that's why vintage it. is that, that junkie, you, you become addicted to adrenaline. Yeah. Certainly when I was doing two vintages a year, you just, when you're in that downside, yeah. you're kind of thinking, mm, what's going oh on? Because you love the running around. and yeah. yeah. It is very addictive. But back to the wine. Back to the wine. Good. Okay. Um, so we have here the True Colours Pinot Noir. Yeah, 2019. So I've got 2019 True Colours Pinot Noir and 2019 White Label. So yeah. True Colours blend of, I think Rob said, 23 vineyards. Whoa. So again, all made separately. Yeah. They come in on separate dates. We pick them at optimum ripeness for that vineyard. Mm-hmm. And the Yarraville is very Hillendale. So, you know, Mr. Blogs could be ripe today and Mr. Blob could be ripe tomorrow. And we've got to manage all of that, knowing that it's all going to go to – um, true colours. Yeah. But this is about um, f- fruit. So you want that cherry fruit. We pick a little bit riper. So you've got dark cherry, raspberry, desiccated raspberry. Again, there's a little bit of oak in there, but it's not, you can't smell it. It just supports the fruit. I love this wine. <laughs> I really love this wine. What, $24 Pinot? It is some good shit. Like, honestly, I. And the beauty of it is it's Yarra Valley in the glass. It has that oh. perfume that the Yarra Valley has. Um, and you can tell it's from the warmer vintages. Yeah. And we have a lot of this particular clone of Pinot in the Yarra Valley. It's a Mother Vine 6, MV6, which actually historically was brought out with James Busby hundreds of years ago to Australia. So it's one of our – it's one of ours. Oh. It's not a European clone. MV6 is – is wow. True blue. True blue. Um, and it's grunty. That's yeah. what I like about it. And with Pinot Noir making, it's all about tannin management. Yeah. But there's so much fruit in there. 
I tell you what, I can say this completely objectively. I know that we work for Rob Dolan, but you will never find a better Pinot Noir at this price point. You won't, and we've actually done the blind trials, tasting trials. Do you remember last year? Yeah. Uh, we did from 19 to 30. Yeah, we tasted against other, and it's just... And it stood out. I don't know how we make such good Pinot at this price, but it is bloody brilliant. Access to vineyards. Yeah. We're spreading our risk, so if... You know, Mr. Blogs Vineyard doesn't work that year. Mr. Blobs might. <laughs> I love those Mr. Men books. So such inventive names you're using here, pseudonyms. It's, it's my spy thing. I can't, <laughs> give, can't give the secret secret sauce <laughs> recipe away. So yeah, so this is just this would be brought in, crushed, destemmed, crushed, um, fermented at moderate temperatures to keep the fruit. Some of it would be drained off into oak. Some yep. of it may have some of the staves that we were talking about. We okay. don't use a lot of them because um, you want that fruit yeah. purity. And then bottled at a fairly young age. So nine yeah. months after it was made, it would be bottled. Okay. And it is. It's just super fruity and delicious and kind of easy to drink. I don't feel like I need um, food with a wine like that. I, just, I introduced Mel to Peking Duck. Mm. Probably about six months ago, <laughs> yeah. and at, to Simon Lay's in Box Hill, and um, since I found out that that's in her five k bubble, I'm just so jelly because it's something that I love, and I just imagine Saturday night I'm going to do that. I got pe- I got Peking Duck for me in town the other day, and um, he said that it's not that good, and it's overrated. <gasps> Okay, maybe at home I think things are diluted maybe. a little bit. Do you need to It take- wasn't from Simon's, but it was from like a good Peking Duck place. I mean, you live, like, in, I Box live in Box Hill. Yeah. right? So like it, There's it's no a bad good, Peking Duck. Exactly. And I was really disappointed. Also, he won't get Provador because he thinks it's overpriced or whatever. Like, oh, my God, help me. <laughs> I'll just order it for you. That could be I your be engagement present. Should I be marrying this person? Oh. There you go. That's cute. I was supposed to have my engagement party. You tell me which restaurant you want. I was going to get you something else, but um, (laughs) that can wait. I was was supposed to have my engagement party this weekend. It was the third or fourth time it had been scheduled. Wasn't it the 18th of September? Oh, yeah, 18th. Is that not this weekend? Yeah, that's this weekend. No. Yeah, that's this right, weekend. You order private or I'll pay for it. Oh, that's exciting. And that'll shut him up it because will. he'll realise how delicious and fabulous and gorgeous it is. I love that. And make him an acceptable man for me to marry because he understands good food. And the thing is, he, I don't think, Tom, I don't think you realise how much you'd be spending just having drinks on a Thursday night with Mel or let's get a takeaway <laughs> yeah. pizza or whatever. You don't. Literally. It's that easy. When you do see Providor and you see like $250, $300, you think, holy crap. Yeah. But that's – you'd be spending that anyway. We got grilled the other night and it was 60 bucks. Yeah, there you go. Like – And it's a burger. It's a burger. That's all. You can make that at home. Oh, yeah. I got the super normal one, which I didn't shut up about. $250. I know. It I, know was I really want it now. Amazing. Oh, it's Father's Day, so something you haven't told us. Anyway, back to 2019 white label Rob Dolan, white label Pinot Noir. So yep. from Willow Lake, very cool climate, part of the Yarra Valley, and the first thing you smell is that amazing perfume. Mm-hmm. Sight matters. Okay. With a wine like this, what matters more, winemaking or where the grapes are growing? We have a saying in winemaking that our job is not to fuck it up. Yeah. I don't mean to be rude, but. <laughs> We're talking about wine. I'm sure we have an 18 yeah. plus audience. Um, you, they, the growers spend a year 
growing those grapes. Mm. We've got one chance. We have a vision for where we want it to be mm-hmm. and things do go wrong, Yeah, you know, um, but we – Best laid plans of mice and men. We try and get it to where it's be to where it needs to be. And this wine, absolutely, with Pinot Noir, um, people like a little bit of that spice and firmer tannins. I don't like too much spice. I find with New Zealand ones, they're way too spicy. What, yeah. What's that from? I think they use a lot of stems, so they use whole bunch. Ah. And whole bunch for me shouldn't be a philosophy. It should be an option. Okay. And so whole bunch is basically putting the whole bunches in, so you've got the stems as well. So when you're fermenting it, you're extracting some of those. So instead of just putting grapes. You're getting the stems You're putting as well. the stem on it as well yeah. and that, so you're getting the flavour from and that. And the tannin as well, that green oh. fairy geranium. This has got a little bit of that and what it does is it gives a little bit more length and spice to the wine. Mm-hmm. But this is all just cherry fruit and it, a baby. Yeah. You know, it needs to be aged and take on some mushroomy, earthy, forest floor flavours. So my one of my, you know, I love um, sideways, and I love when he talks about Pinot and sideways. He talks about um, how Pinot can only be grown in like the most tiniest corners of the world, and that it takes it's so hard to make, and it takes like a truly skilled winemaker to coax it to its full expression. How does winemaking with Pinot differ from winemaking with other grapes, other un- red grapes? Yeah, it is unforgiving. You know, Shiraz, you can kind of bring it in, crush it, ferment it. Mm. doesn't really matter if the temperature gets a bit out of control, uh, throw it in new oak, loves it. Pinot, you have to manage the tannin, so your cap management that yeah. I've spoken about has to be very gentle. You have to be tasting it all the time so that you've got the right balance of tannin and fruit. Mm. It's very easy to, oops, too much. I've, you know, <laughs> does anyone, no one knows, Milton the Monster? Okay, so the winery that I used to work at, that was a saying that we had, um, shout out to Stephen Edgerton, oops, too much was... He's, he's trying to create a monster and he says, just a touch of tenderness. <laughs> and then his assistant bumps him and he puts yeah. in too much tenderness and the monster comes out as this really right. soft teddy bear. He goes, I'm Milton, your brand new sir. <laughs> you've lost me. But anyway. Anyway, um, you've got to, yeah, with, with tannin management with Pinot, you've got to – You've got to taste it constantly and yeah. when you're ready, you're done. Just just yeah. leave it alone. Yeah. Um, there is always a thing, you've got, the more you, you've got to keep doing stuff, but sometimes it's about what you don't do as yeah. much as about what you actually do do and that applies to Pinot. Whereas Cabernet, Shiraz, Grenache, um, um, Merlot are much more forgiving in the winery. Do they spend a different amount of time on their skin? So Pinot obviously is a much lighter grape and we know that colour comes from skins. Yep. Is it because the skins themselves are lighter or because they spend less time with the skin? The skins are thinner. Oh. So you don't have as many layers of colour and tannins in there, so they're thinner. Gotcha. So when we go out to the vineyard, one of the things that I would do when I'm trying to work out when I need to pick is I'll taste the grapes, taste the seeds. If the seeds are crunchy, I know I'm close. If they're geranium stem or fairy, I'm way off. But I would take the skin out of my mouth and rub it between my fingers, and if I could get a stain of colour on my finger, I knew that I was kind of getting there. Yeah. Shiraz will stain your finger much more 
than Good, yeah. Pinot. Yeah. Pinot's just very, very – it's more like a tissue yeah. versus – a hanky, you know, a cotton hanky in terms of thickness. Oh, well, that's a good analogy. Yeah, it's very fine. So I'll say if anyone is based in Victoria um, and you come to Rob Dillon Wines like on like a weekday so we're not too busy, request to the cellar door team that they pop out to the vineyard and they can grab you a grape and you can actually kind of squeeze it, see, you'll see that the juice is clear. You can have a look at the skins. You can have a taste. Um, we're happy to do this with people because it is really interesting to taste wine grapes and see how they're different to table grapes. Yeah, absolutely. And we, our staff will go in there, not the general public, because of yeah. biosecurity reasons. It's not that we think you're dirty, but we, <laughs> we have to protect our vineyards. But the beauty yes. about our vineyard here is we have Pinot yeah. and Cabernet Franc. They couldn't so be compare. more different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cabernet Franc's a tiny berry, really thick skins. Pinot's a bigger berry and, and thin-skinned. And That's sometimes cute. I've noticed they have actually have bunches sitting on Yeah, the every bench. now and then we pop out and get some and bring it in. Yeah. But um, – we should say that it what February March best time to come probably March for, for March. Pinot and, yeah and you can complete they they ripen at different times so yeah. you can actually have a look yeah. so maybe we should every yeah week pull in a, a yeah bunch we of will we'll make sure we do it's really interesting um, Meg we're almost out of time is there anything else that you think is important to mention when it comes to red wine making I just think the aging in oak of course Pinot. Uh, lighter skin varieties, which are a little bit more floral and mm. delicate. Yeah. Uh, Aging is usually about nine to ten months. Okay. Whereas with Cabernets and Shirazes, we sort of took 12 to 14 months and there's some wines that are aged for two years. Yeah. So bigger, more tannic wines can last longer in oak. Pinot, mm-hmm. you don't want to lose the freshness. Yeah. So you want to get it out and bottle it when it's ready. And that's part of the winemaking process, deciding yeah. when – Oh, this is good to go. Yeah. And not every barrel is going to age the same as the barrel sitting next to it. Yeah. So it's, that's why wine making is so fantastic because it's just. It is. That's it's wild. a crapshoot to a degree. <laughs> <laughs> but a fun one. That's why wine making is so fantastic. It's a crapshoot. Because <laughs> you're always on your toes. That's We're what putting I love. that on a pillow. I love it. You're always on your toes with it. You, it never lets you go, oh. Yeah. Job's done. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have any more questions, if anything's unclear, shoot us a message on one with Megan Mel and we're more than happy to help you out. But we'll finish out with a question from Jason. Jason says, Hey guys, loving the show. Have you tried English sparkling? If you have, what are your thoughts? I've tried a Ridgeview Cavendish at around $50 and thought it was great value and excellent drinking. I have, Jason. Um, I have tasted English sparkling and I've seen a lot of the evolution of it because I actually mm. worked in the UK for oh, yeah, quite a you few would have years. Too. So I was at Tenterden Vineyards yeah. well, helping out them and they were trying to look at sparkling made from Bacchus, which is a terrible grape variety. My favourite is Nightimber. Mm-hmm. It is expensive. It's hard to get in Australia. It is superb. And one of the descriptors that they use for it, which I find so English, is Heather. What does it that has even this mean? box heather aroma. If you haven't lived in England, you don't know. It's a it's a little plant. Um, we have it here. You know, people do little box hedges, but yeah. in pots. Yeah, it's heather usually, and it has this distinct right. aroma. And Nightimber has that. Um, they are amazing. And just a fun fact that. Chablis mm-hmm. and Champagne are on chalk-based soils mm-hmm. from a Devonian sea. So in the 
Devonian period geologically, there was an inland sea that spread yeah. all the way to Dover. Huh. So the White Cliffs of Dover, the White Cliffs are white because of the dead seashells, which is the soil <gasps> in Chablis and Champagne. What, and does that affect? And where the no best way. parts of the English Champagne sparkling wine vineyards are planted. What does the soil do to the wine? Chalk soils are really important for hydrating soils. For, and in, in yeah. Champagne you have um, the famous chalk soils. What are they called? I think – the name champagne comes from chalk. It's a Latin term for chalk. Oh. Um, and yeah, so it's this big wow. swath of land that hits part of Vouvray. Yeah. So those chalk tufo soils in Vouvray, it's, if you look at it geologically yeah. all the way through the White Cliffs of Dover. So it's funny that they actually do have a good reason to be making wine because I always thought of like London is a classic region for wine drinkers. They're, they're one of the most educated wine consumption markets in the world like they know their wine and they know say here in australia we drink australian wine like barely anyone drinks outside of australia but in london they are so educated in global wines but they've never had their own wine because of their climate so when they started making sparkling i was like oh that's cute they just love it and they want to try so it's funny to hear that it's actually come such a long way and that they have good reason to be making it it's really good oh good on them um one of the things that I think climate change is obviously yeah. in their favour, but even the Champenoise mm. are investing in the UK Wild. in those sites because they think wow. that with climate change they may they're they're spreading their risk. They're diversifying. So um, yeah, I'll try and get some of this night timber, and we'll all share it together. I tried to get it for our sparkling our champagne thing, but couldn't get it. It we'll, is we'll, it, they one are day great. We'll do an episode. Well, thank you so much for your question, Jason. If anyone has any questions on wine or observations or like last week, if you've got a screenshot from Tinder, uh, what what have you seen, Meg? She just went, oh, she said. Sorry, little Zoe oh, wants to get in. So Zoe, wrap it up. Wrap it up, it up so I can let my girl in. You should uh, follow <laughs> Zoe or shout out for Zoe, Zoe the Wine Dog on Instagram. Um, she's a bit of a mandadora, as we say in Chile. She is such a diva and she's trying to get inside and see us right now. She's obsessed with Meg. Okay, we will finish up then. Um, we hope you enjoy your next glass of wine. Yeah, drink well. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>